All right. Welcome, welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Final Final Podcast here. Been a while, actually. I just, I quite possibly had the laziest week of my life last week during this quarantine. I don't know what happened. Maybe it was uh, the initial shock of the Packers 2020 NFL draft class. But last week was just horrible production-wise for me. But it's got to be this damn quarantine at this point. I've but I've had a I've had a much more productive week this week, so that's good. Just binge watching too much Netflix last week. That's that's what it was for me. Or anything else? We got uh, this Fire Stick TV that my roommate got. Jordan has. It allows us to have uh, Amazon Prime and Hulu and, and Disney Plus. It's got all of them on it, so I've just got everything in front of me if I want to watch it. So that that's what must have happened. But good news is, gave me a lot more time to look at the 2020 virtual draft and look at who initially had a nice draft class this year, maybe who had some interesting picks. The Green Bay Packers are for sure one of them. We'll talk about that, no question about it. But actually, this this virtual draft seemed like it worked out pretty good. A lot of positives coming from it. A lot of people liked looking into the houses and homes of not only the players that were being drafted, but even the guys, the GMs and the head coaches and, and some of the owners making the picks. I mean, we saw a lot of family video going on with with the inside look on these people's houses some of the funnier ones with bill belichick and his dog or jerry jones flexing on everybody on his yacht but either way it seemed like it worked out pretty good they're going to actually try to implement more of that in next year's draft too when hopefully this pandemic is long over by then and they'll go back to having uh, a regular nfl draft at a location they've moved it the 2022 draft is going to be in Vegas since they didn't get it this year. So we'll see how uh, how they incorporate the live NFL draft that we usually get to some of the virtual aspects that we really liked this year. So we'll see how that goes. But either way, the first round actually started off pretty predictable too, which was really interesting. No trades that we saw until we got to the 49ers and the Buccaneers just flip-flopping 13 and 14. Other than that, a lot of predictable ones that we saw. Let's see how I did with my second mock draft. We'll get into that right now and a few of the surprises and highlights from the first round of the 2020 NFL draft. So some of the interesting things that I took from this, Henry Ruggs was actually the first receiver taken over Jerry Judy and C.D. Lamb, which I thought was uh, pretty interesting there. Jalen Rieger, the wide receiver from TCU, was taken over Justin Jefferson. The Eagles decided to go with Rieger there. The Vikings then took Jefferson with the next pick. The Chargers trading back into the first round. I believe they were the only team to trade back into the first round from with a second-round pick like that. They traded back in and got Kenneth Murray there. The Packers trading up for Jordan Love. If you remember my last episode, I thought that the Packers wouldn't be looking for Love, even with the 30th pick. Clearly, I was way off base there. The question will be, though, did they need to trade up for him? And, and the answer might be they might have had to because... If you look at the 27th pick, who the Packers were about to trade with, the Seattle Seahawks, the past eight seasons they had traded that pick. So a team that really liked Jordan Love possibly in the early second round might have been looking up, looking to trade up there. So the Packers thought they'd have, to, they'd have to get ahead of the Seattle Seahawks there and get their guy in Jordan Love. Clearly, if you remember my last episode, I did a couple of mock drafts on those online ones that I like to do. I didn't think Jordan Love would be the guy for the Packers. He was the only guy left on the board for them on their first-round board. So they went up and they got him. So now they possibly have Aaron Rodgers' successor. And we'll talk about that more in depth definitely uh, later on in this episode. 
Another interesting thing that I took away from this first round, the Chiefs took Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, the running back out of LSU, and he was the first running back taken in this draft class ahead of DeAndre Swift, Jonathan Taylor, J.K. Dobbins, guys like that. He was the only one selected in the first round right there at the end with 32 at 32, and six wide receivers taken in round one, kind of what a lot of people were expecting there around the six to seven, maybe possibly even getting up to eight mark. Um, I think it was Henry Ruggs, Jerry Judy, C.D. Lamb. Those were the top three. They go to the Raiders, Broncos, and the Cowboys actually getting not necessarily a steal, but C.D. Lamb falling in their lap there. Then you got Jalen Rieger going to the Eagles, Justin Jefferson to the Vikings, and then the 49ers trading up to the 25th spot, taking Brandon Ayuk. Remember the guy who I thought the Packers might look at at 30? I thought he might possibly. I've seen a lot of spots where he fall to 62, clearly falling nowhere near 62, going at 25. And so those were the six wide receivers taken in the first round this year. Let's see how I did with my second mock draft. I'm looking at it here. I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven correct picks. And that includes uh, I had Miami taking Austin Jackson, the offensive tackle, out of USC at 26, and they instead took him at 18. I included that one there. But one thing I also like to look at, too, is how many positions did I get correctly with the team, like matching the team with the position that they drafted. You don't necessarily always know which uh player the team likes but you can kind of guess which position they like in that sense so if you take those seven add on the one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven i got around 18 correct with the position so like cleveland i had them taking makai becton instead they ended up going with jaderic wills and the new york jets i had them taking jaderic wills they go with makai becton so they went with the offensive tackle like i was thinking same thing with the Raiders, instead of taking Jerry Judy, they go with Henry Ruggs. Tampa Bay, Tristan Wirfs falls to them instead of Andrew Thomas, who goes all the way to the Giants. Kind of interesting there. So, I mean, I think I did all right in this sense. Some guys falling out of the first round that I had in the first round. Some notable ones, Zach Bond, he fell all the way to the third round. Josh Jones, the guy who I initially thought the Packers would take, he also fell down to the third round. A lot of these guys falling into the second round as well. Denzel Mims falling near the end of the second round. Jalen Johnson. So it's it's interesting to see. A couple of guys that surprised me moving up into the first round. Damon Arnett, the cornerback out of Ohio State, going 19 to the Las Vegas Raiders. instead. Uh, so I, they still went with a cornerback, which I thought they might do at that position. But Damon Arnett was a little bit of a surprise there. New Orleans taking Cesar Ruiz, the center from Michigan. Can play guard as well, so they always like to shore up their interior offensive line. Jordan Brooks, the linebacker out of Texas Tech, going to Seattle. That was another interesting one. You weren't sure if he was going to make it up into the first round, but he did. And then, of course, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, the first running back taken, was a surprise to a lot of people, and, and me too. I thought it would it should have been Jonathan Taylor, who ended up going to a fantastic team or a fantastic spot, I think, with the Indianapolis Colts. But Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is the first running back taken in the 2020 NFL draft. Here's a here's something that I I always like to do too, which teams I think got a lot better or had a nice uh draft class just from the initial look. You don't know how these guys are going to look right now. Teams are wrong all the time. It's just nobody knows how these guys are going to pan out right away. But you can always from the grades that you see 
going into the process to the production you saw in college, all that kind of taken into effect. You can just kind of make an initial, you see all the draft grades that the analysts and stuff have for these teams right after the draft is done. And those are some things that I like to look at, but I like to make my own personal judgments in, in which teams I think did really well. One team that I thought had a really excellent draft, which I hate to say this, but this is the draft that I wish the Packers would have had, believe it or not, is the Minnesota Vikings. Round one, they get Justin Jefferson, the wide receiver out of LSU. That was the dream pick for the Green Bay Packer fans. Obviously, he didn't fall to Green Bay, but the worst case scenario is that he goes to an in-division rival. So he goes to the Vikings in round one. They trade back in round one to 31 with the 49ers. They get Jeff Gladney, the cornerback out of TCU. Packers could use a cornerback help there as well. This is just the Vikings did a really nice job filling a lot of holes, a lot of holes that I thought the Packers could do, and this is the draft that I thought would been have fit the Packers perfectly. But either way, the Vikings also get Ezra Cleveland, the offensive tackle out of Boise State. They get him in the second round, Cameron Dantzler, another corner, James Lynch, a defensive tackle, and Troy Dye, an inside linebacker. So the Vikings fill a lot of big holes that this team had. They lose nine starters this offseason because of cap constraints that they have. They can't pay all of their big-time performers, and a lot of these guys need to get paid. So Justin Jefferson can come in and be the number two guy behind Adam Thielen. The loss of Stefan Diggs is lessened now with Jefferson in the fold. Jeff Gladney, Cameron Dantzler can come in and replace a few of their starting cornerbacks that have left. Xavier Rhodes comes to mind for sure. Ezra Cleveland, a really athletic offensive tackle. He's a guy that can help shore up that offensive line. James Lynch can come in, help provide some depth on that defensive front where they lost Everson Griffin this offseason. And then Troy Dye on the inside linebacker position can be a guy that can plug in the middle of the field, athletic as well, out of Oregon. So I thought the Vikings had a really nice beginning to their draft. They had 15 selections this year, also added two more, I believe, next year. Really nice job by the Vikings GM, I think it's Rick Spielman. He had a really nice draft, and I hate to say that as a Packers fan, of course, but they did a really nice job this year with their draft. Another team, too, just another team that I really don't like that well, but they had a really nice draft, the Dallas Cowboys. I mean, round one, C.D. Lamb falls into their lap at 17. You can't pass that up, and they don't. They made the right decision there going with him. So now they've got three really good wide receivers, Amari Cooper. They've still got Michael Gallup, who was a 1,000-yard receiver last year, and now C.D. Lamb. Mike McCarthy is just reminiscing on his 15-1 Packers when they had all those offensive weapons with Aaron Rodgers and Jordy Nelson and James Jones and Greg Jennings and Donald Driver, and now he's starting to get that in Dallas here. So they get C.D. Lamb there. They get Trayvon Diggs, the cornerback, out of Alabama in the second round. He was a guy in my mock draft who I had going in the first round, but they are able to snag him in the second round. They get Neville Gallimore, the defensive tackle out of Oklahoma, to help shore up that defensive front, maybe take some pressure away from Demarcus Lawrence. He can get after the quarterback. They needed help up front there. And then a really big pickup for them, which I thought was huge, is somehow they were able to steal Tyler Biotish, the offensive guard from Wisconsin, late in the fourth round. This is the guy that can come in and possibly replace Travis Frederick, who just retired kind of unexpectedly this past offseason. So they can go from one offensive lineman from Wisconsin to another here with Tyler Biotish. They get another corner in Reggie Robinson as well. 
So I thought the Cowboys did a nice job filling in holes that they had on this team. They get a big-time playmaker in C.D. Lamb, which is just a bonus while still filling that cornerback position left by Byron Jones as he left this offseason, filling up that defensive front so that their run defense can get a little better, and then plugging a big need on that offensive line with the unexpected retire of Travis Frederick. They fill it with Tyler Biotish there. So that, I thought, was a really good draft class for the Dallas Cowboys. Another team as well, the Arizona Cardinals. I've got four. I've got my top five, but I'm going to tell, talk about my, my best four. The Cardinals are, are third. I thought they had a nice one as well. Isaiah Simmons, the athletic Swiss Army knife of a defender out of Clemson. They get him at the eighth overall pick. Then they don't have another pick until the third round where they take Josh Jones, the offensive tackle out of Houston. This is the guy I thought the Packers could have had at 30 even, and he falls all the way down to 72, I believe, or 74 to the Arizona Cardinals in the third round. So I thought in my mock draft, the Cardinals would need an offensive lineman to help protect Kyler Murray. They didn't get him. They took Isaiah Simmons to help that defense, which of course needs a lot of help there. But I thought they could have used an offensive line to protect Murray. Instead, they get, I think, a top flight tackle in the third round in Josh Jones. So I think that's an absolute great pick for them there. They get two defensive tackles then in the fourth round, Lakai Fotu and Rashard Lawrence. They really need a lot of help with their run defense, and these two guys can plug in there. They get Evan Weaver, the inside linebacker from Cal, who's a tackling machine in the sixth round, and then they take a running back in the seventh round as well. So I liked the Cardinals draft class a lot. They get a huge defensive playmaker in Simmons, and then they get a possible starting offensive tackle in the third round as well, where I thought they'd have to take their starting offensive tackle in the first round. They're able to swing getting a defensive playmaker and a possible starting tackle in their first two picks in rounds one and three. So I thought that was a fantastic job by the Cardinals there. And then my fourth team was the Cleveland Browns. They got one of the top four offensive tackles in Jaderic Wills with their first round pick. Then they took Grant Delpit, the safety out of LSU. Not necessarily a Swiss Army knife, but he can play up a little bit, rush the passer, will help their defense. They get Jordan Elliott, a defensive tackle out of Missouri, who can help stuff the run. Jacob Phillips, an athletic inside linebacker out of LSU as well. They get him in the third round. Then they get another nice tight end in Harrison Bryant, a really good blocking tight end. He actually used to be an offensive tackle in high school, converted to tight end in college. So that's really nice there. They Another weapon for Baker Mayfield. They get a center in Nick Harris, possibly to shore up that offensive line after Jaderek Wills and Taylor Lewan on the outsides. And then they kind of get a steal at the wide receiver position in Donovan Peoples-Jones in the sixth round. A lot of people saw him possibly going all the way up in the second round, and he falls to the sixth round of the Cleveland Browns. So that was just a fantastic pickup there. As you can see, a lot of these draft classes, what makes them spectacular is who you're able to get in the later rounds. Everyone should be able to get a quality player in the first rounds. Of course, nobody knows. Of course, there's a bunch of busts in the first couple rounds every year, always a bunch of busts. But what you can get in the later rounds really helps determine a draft sometimes. And then my fifth team that I won't I won't dive into their specific draft picks, but the Baltimore Ravens I thought had a really nice draft class as well, starting with Patrick Queen up the middle, solidifying that inside linebacker position, maybe an upgrade almost from C.J. Mosley who left now two seasons ago. So those were some of the teams that I thought had really nice draft classes this year. 
Some of my favorite selections, though, it's kind of like steals of the draft. Jonathan Taylor to the Colts. This isn't necessarily a steal, but this is just a fantastic landing spot for Jonathan Taylor. One, he can be the number one running back as soon as he comes in if the Colts want him and Marlon Mack, but the thing is they don't need him to. They can do kind of a workload sharing between these two. Jonathan Taylor has had a lot of carries in college football, so Marlon Mack and Jonathan Taylor can both take a share of those carries, but Jonathan Taylor in Indianapolis will be running behind one of the best offensive lines, if not the best offensive line in the NFL. I mean, can you just imagine Quinton Nelson coming down the field and Jonathan Taylor following up right behind him, just able to read off of his blocks? That's just a really awesome sight to watch. So Jonathan Taylor in Indianapolis, really one of my favorite picks of this draft. Another one, Zach Vaughn, another Wisconsin guy. I know, they're don't worry, they're not all Wisconsin picks. But the Saints getting him at pick 74, I thought that was incredible. I had him in the first round going to the Patriots. The Patriots traded out of the first round. But he fell all the way to the third round for the Saints. So the Saints get an athletic linebacker, which was a need for them. A lot of people thought maybe they could go with Kenneth Murray or Patrick Queen. But they get Zach Vaughn. He can rush the passer. He can be their inside linebacker if they want him to. And he can drop back and cover your running back coming out of the backfield as well. So I thought that was a fantastic pickup for the Saints in the third round. So kind of a steal. Also a really good fit there. Like I mentioned, Josh Jones before at pick 72 for the Cardinals. I really liked that pick for them. Here's one for you, too. And James Prochet, the wide receiver out of SMU, I believe, for the Ravens late in the sixth round. A lot consider him maybe possibly having the best hands in this loaded wide receiver draft class. So I thought the Ravens really got, maybe could possibly be a steal. A guy, when you get to the later rounds in these NFL drafts, sixth round and seventh round especially, you're just looking for the best available player, kind of regardless of position. If you can get guys that can make the roster from these rounds, six and seven, and if they contribute in any sense, that's kind of a win when you get sixth and seventh round picks like that. So I thought James Prochet was a really good pick for the Ravens in the late sixth round. Lloyd Cushenberry, the center from LSU, he went to the Broncos at pick 83. I thought this was a nice pickup for the Broncos. They need some help along that offensive line. Get some people to project Drew Locke, the second-year quarterback now for the Denver Broncos. He's got a bunch of weapons. He's got Jerry Judy and K.J. Handler now from this draft, along with Cortland Sutton still. He's still got Noah Fant. He's going to need time to get the ball to these weapons. Lloyd Cushenberry, I thought, could have been a possible second round, maybe even squeaked into the first round for an offensive guard, one of the top offensive guards in this class. So I thought that was a nice pickup for the Broncos all the way down at pick 83. And then another one here, Denzel Mims, the wide receiver from Baylor. He goes to the Jets at pick 59. I mean, this couldn't have worked out any better for the Jets, I thought. They get a top-flight offensive tackle in Mekhi Becton with their first-round pick, someone to protect Sam Darnold. They don't have a lot of weapons on offense, and then they trade back in the second round, and they're able to get Denzel Mims, who a lot of people thought as a possible first-rounder. I had him all the way up to the Saints, or... I'm sorry, to the Vikings in my mock draft. So I thought that was a fantastic pickup for the Jets where they're able to get an offensive weapon like Mims and still get a left tackle like Becton with their first two picks. So I thought that worked out really well for the Jets. So those were some of my favorite selections and and possible steals of this draft. I thought Jonathan Taylor is going to be a lot of fun. I already told all my friends, don't even try taking him in fantasy football. 
You won't take them before I do because uh, I'm reaching for Jonathan Taylor, no question about it. All right. So let's take a look at the quarterbacks and see where some of them landed. So we had 13 quarterbacks taken in this draft, 36 wide receivers actually before we get to quarterbacks, 36 wide receivers taken in this draft, which was incredible, I thought. A lot of really talented receivers in this draft, so that'll be exciting to watch this upcoming NFL season for sure. But let's go back to the quarterbacks. So 13, I'm just going to talk about the top eight here. So we had Joe Burrow going number one overall to the Bengals. Tua Tagovailoa going fifth overall to the Dolphins. Justin Herbert going sixth overall to the Chargers. Then the Packers trading up to 26 to take Jordan Love. Those are the four quarterbacks taken in the first round. Then we had Jalen Hurts as the fifth quarterback taken, and he went to the Philadelphia Eagles, which is an intriguing pick. Jacob Eason going then in the fourth round to the Colts, which I think is a really nice fit. James Morgan the guy out of FIU, also from Green Bay, went to Green Bay for high school. He also goes in the fourth round. He goes to the Jets. And then Jake Fromm goes in the fifth round to the Buffalo Bills. So the question then becomes, with these quarterbacks, who kind of lands in the best scenario? Who lands with the best team? Who lands in the best environment for them as a player? So Joe Burrow, let's let's talk about which quarterbacks we might think will start in their rookie seasons. I think Joe Burrow will be starting week one. A lot of people do. Really no question there. Tua Tagovailoa, I believe, will be starting in his rookie season as well. Not necessarily week one. We'll see what the Miami Dolphins doctors think of him once they get their hands on him for sure. They're obviously very comfortable with what they've seen so far because they took him with the fifth overall pick. I think how it'll go Ryan Fitzpatrick will start at least the first game, possibly the second game as well. If they struggle in those games, then I think you'll see Tua Tugavailoa come in immediately. Brian Flores will get pressure from the fans, from the upper management to say, hey, we just took our quarterback of the future with the fifth overall pick. Let's get him in there instead of starting 0-3, 0-4. I think Tua Tugavailoa will definitely see the field his rookie season. Same thing with Justin Herbert. But it might not be as soon as Tua Tagovailoa. How it'll go is right now they seem comfortable with Tyrod Taylor as their starting quarterback. I still think Cam Newton could be an option for them, but I digress there. Either way, the Chargers still have a loaded roster on this team. I mean, their defense is stacked on all levels. I mean, they've got Joey Bosa, Melvin Ingram rushing the passer. They now have Kenneth Murray in the middle of their field running sideline to sideline taking out anybody that tries to get past him there. They've got Derwin James, Casey Hayward, Desmond King in their defensive backfield. So this defense is loaded for sure. The offense now kind of struggled protecting Phillip Rivers. They've tried to upgrade that offensive line with Brian Balaga trading for Trey Turner from the Carolina Panthers. They've still got weapons all along that team. They've got Keenan Allen, Mike Williams. Now Austin Eckler is the man in the backfield as well. So the Chargers might necessarily struggle like the Dolphins would out of the gate. But if the team thinks that they could be doing better in Tyrod Taylor, who has made the playoffs with the Buffalo Bills, but has been more known as a game-managing quarterback instead of a game-changing quarterback, if they think they could be doing better maybe around week 8 if they're 4 and 4 or they're 3 and 5 or week 10 if they're 5 and 5 and they think they should be doing better, that's possibly when we could see Justin Herbert. I think that Justin Herbert should sit his whole rookie season. I don't think that's how it'll be, though, because 
he's a top 10 rookie quarterback. If you're taken in the top 10, a lot of teams expect you to be starting your rookie season. So that's how I think it'll go with Justin Herbert. Jordan Love, I wouldn't expect him to see the field for at least two years. I'll talk about this more in a little bit, but that's a really interesting scenario for the Green Bay Packers with Jordan Love and Aaron Rodgers. I'll get to that in a little bit here. Jalen Hurts. Now, there's a lot of talk about him possibly seeing the field in other capacities, not necessarily at quarterback. I don't know if it's Wildcat quarterback. I don't know if it's a Taysom Hill kind of situation, which we've been hearing a lot about with him. But I think he'll see the field, but he won't be the starting quarterback unless Carson Wentz is injured. But I think it's a smart pick by the Philadelphia Eagles. They need to solidify their backup quarterback. They don't have Nick Foles anymore. It seems like a smart pick to take a Jalen Hurts. I don't know. The second round seemed a little rich, possibly, for them at least. But they liked him there, and that's why they took him. They need a backup quarterback, and now they've got one in Jalen Hurts. Jacob Eason, I don't think he'll see the field either as a rookie unless Phillip Rivers gets injured. But I think he lands in a really good spot. It'll be Phillip Rivers, Jacoby Brissett as the number two if he stays on the team, if they don't trade him. And then it'll be Jacob Eason as the third stringer. Remember, Phillip Rivers only signed a one-year deal, $25 million. After that, the Colts can decide if they want to keep bringing him back for another one-year contract or something like that. But maybe if Jacob Eason progresses after one year of sitting on the bench behind Phillip Rivers and behind Jacoby Brissett if he's still there, maybe Jacob Eason sees the field as the starter in his second year, possibly his third year, if they bring back Phillip Rivers again. But either way, I think that's a really good spot for him to sit possibly one or two years behind Phillip Rivers. Then he could possibly be the starting quarterback there. James Morgan, the really talented guy out of FIU. A lot of teams started to like him near the end of the draft process. He goes to the New York Jets. Again, I don't think he'll be seeing the field at all with Sam Darnold there long term. I don't know what the thinking was for the Jets, but it's always good to have talented quarterbacks in your quarterback room. So, I mean, why not in the fourth round there? And then Jake Fromm with Buffalo, same sort of thing. I mean, all the running around that Josh Allen does, he could get injured. He's a big guy. He's able to take some of those big hits. But with Josh Allen's running ability, it's always smart to have capable quarterbacks in your quarterback room. But I don't think Jake Fromm will see the field as the starter in his rookie season unless Josh Allen gets hurt. I'm not even sure if... Guys like Jake Fromm, Jacob Eason, and James Morgan will be the number two guys, but it's possible. I mean, I don't think Jacob Eason certainly will be the number two if Jacoby Brissett is there, but we'll see. But these guys all make sense with the teams. It's understandable why the teams drafted quarterbacks like this. You see why with Jake Fromm in Buffalo because of Josh Allen's running, Jacob Eason because of the age of Phillip Rivers, stuff like that. So it makes sense why some of these guys landed where they did. But the best landing spots, I think, Jacob Eason with the Colts is a really good spot. Jordan Love is going to sit behind Aaron Rodgers for at least two years, I believe. I think three years minimum for him, which will be a really nice learning experience. And then he'll be able to be ready to go and take the reins, hopefully, after that. Joe Burrow will start right away. The hope for him is that he has enough protection in Cincinnati. If he gets enough protection... I think Joe Burrow has enough weapons around him to be successful in Cincinnati with A.J. Green, Tyler Boyd, John Ross, Joe Mixon. They selected T. Higgins with their second pick this year. So he's got the weapons. I think he'll be successful on offense. Now the defense still has a lot of problems as well, but if he can get protection 
from his offensive line. I think Joe Burrow's in a pretty good situation. Same thing with Tua Tagovailoa. He's got pieces to work with. The team had a lot of draft picks this year. If they build correctly and, and they work around that, Tua Tagovailoa is in a pretty successful situation or in a capable spot, at least for him to succeed. And then Justin Herbert has the loaded roster. He's just got to take it in his own hands when the time comes, so we'll see how that works. A lot of good spots for these quarterbacks. Let's just see how it all works, and I'm excited to see when these guys take the field, these rookie quarterbacks. Not Jordan Love quite yet, but uh, we'll see when he eventually takes the field. But let's get into that right now. The Packers 2020 draft class, which was definitely one of the most interesting this year by far. So round one, they trade up from 30 to 26 with the Miami Dolphins, and they take Jordan Love, the quarterback, and it raised a lot of eyebrows for sure. I mean, I, for one, as a Packer fan, was sitting there astonished. I was on a Zoom call with my brother, actually, and we were just watching the whole thing, going through pick by pick, and, and actually it was really funny because we, of course, were hoping for one of those top wide receivers to fall to the Packers. So not necessarily the top three, but it was really funny when CeeDee Lamb got past the Broncos. It was Jerry Judy and C.D. Lamb available there. And I said if C.D. Lamb gets past the gets past the Cowboys, then some of the rest of these wide receivers might fall as well. And, of course, the Cowboys did the right thing and, and jumped on C.D. Lamb there. But then when the Eagles took Jalen Rieger, I thought, oh, maybe the Packers might trade up and get Justin Jefferson. All this was going on, and then they traded up to 26. I thought, hey, they're trading up to get ahead of both the Seattle Seahawks, and the Baltimore Ravens to take that inside linebacker, Patrick Queen, out of LSU. And then when they took Jordan Love, the initial shock, I was like, you cannot be serious. We are a couple of pieces away from competing, not competing, for winning, possibly, the Super Bowl. I thought wide receiver was a big position need. Offensive tackle could have been a guy they went with. Defensive tackle or inside linebacker to help stop the run is what they needed but a quarterback for the future was not what I was hoping for it's not what anybody's really hoping for when you plan for the future when you're hoping to compete right away so that night I was like you can't be serious with how the Packers did this but then I took the night I actually apparently I took a week <laughs> but it makes sense what the Packers were doing here when they selected Jordan Love they did the same thing with Aaron Rodgers. You've heard this story over and over. They're taking Aaron Rodgers with the 24th overall pick in 2005 when Brett Favre is 35, still kind of at the top of his game at that point. Aaron Rodgers sits for three years, and the rest is history. It works out pretty well for the Packers. Same thing could be happening here for Green Bay. The problem is nobody wanted to think that there was a time clock on Aaron Rodgers' time in Green Bay. Now Brian Gutekinds and the Packers have started that clock, basically. But it was just really interesting because the Packers also recently signed Aaron Rodgers to that huge four-year extension, $134 million. But the contract has the ability for the Packers to get out of it nicely after two years if they want to. Most likely three years would be the best scenario for them money-wise. So it kind of looks like the plan for the Packers is in three years for Jordan Love to be their next starting quarterback. But that wasn't the only questionable thing about their draft class. Then round two, they take a running back in A.J. Dillon 
when they have Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams. They take the running back out of Boston College, six foot, two hundred and fifty pound. Kind of looks like a fullback, but he runs not like a fullback. He runs like a running back, no question about it. There. Then in the third round, they take an H back slash tight end in Josiah Degura with their third round pick out of Cincinnati. Not one of the top tight ends a lot of people were looking at, but a guy that possibly Matt LaFleur really liked, and so that's why they went with that third-round selection. They didn't have a fourth-round selection. They had to give that up, trading up to get Jordan Love. So then in the fifth round, they finally take someone that Packers fans can work with is inside linebacker Kamal Martin out of Minnesota, kind of a rangy linebacker, which they were hoping for. So they go Jordan Love, A.J. Dillon, a running back, Josiah Deguera, a tight end H-back, kind of like a fullback position, which they'll use him in, I'm sure, a few times. And then they go inside linebacker finally. And I think the reason a lot of people, not people, Packers fans especially, had a problem with this draft class is because they look at what could have possibly been for the Packers the way the draft fell. And I got this from, uh, I believe it's Andy Herman. I watch a lot of his stuff on, on social media, and he writes a lot of good stuff. And he came up with a list of what the Packers could have had instead of what they did have. So with their first overall pick, the 30th pick, they could have went with Michael Pittman Jr. at 30 since he went to the Colts at 34. So they could have went Michael Pittman there. Their second round pick could have been Josh Jones, who I thought could have been their first overall pick at 30. They could have got him at 62. Then they could have went with an outside linebacker slash inside linebacker choose one, but I went with Akeem Davis-Gather, an outside linebacker that they could have went with. Fourth round, they could have took care of possibly center slash guard with Tyler Biotish, a Wisconsin guy. They could have gotten two more receivers if they wanted to at five and six, Donovan Peoples-Jones or James Prochet, two guys that a lot of Packers fans were looking at as possible late round wide receiver additions. Then they could have gotten another offensive tackle later in the draft as well. So that's why I think a lot of Packers fans were disappointed with how their draft went because they saw what could have happened. But a lot of these picks actually make sense for the Packers in terms of how Matt LaFleur possibly wants to run his offense. But let's get back to the bigger thing here. Two things, actually. So there's no wide receivers taken for the Packers, 36 wide receivers taken overall, like I mentioned, and they go with a backup quarterback with their first-round pick. Everybody's going to be asking, How will Rodgers react to this pick? Everybody, a lot of people, not everybody, a lot of people think he's irate that he'll possibly have a similar reaction to what Brett Favre had when they brought in Aaron Rodgers to be his successor in a sense. I don't necessarily think it'll go that way. But what does this mean for Aaron Rodgers then? What it means is what I think I said before, and it starts the clock on the Packers and Aaron Rodgers' relationship slash tenure together. I think how it'll go, and this isn't this isn't concrete, but in three years, I think Jordan Love will be the quarterback for the Green Bay Packers. So you'll get Aaron Rodgers this season, next season, and one more season. Then you'll get Jordan Love. They'll have him for two seasons because he's on that five-year rookie contract with that fifth-year option that the team will have. And then the Packers will see where they have from there. But the Packers won't switch over to Jordan Love in that fourth year unless they think he's ready. They're not just going to go, yep, Aaron Rodgers, you're done. Doesn't matter how Jordan Love looks in practice, in preseason, in garbage time snaps. Jordan Love's the guy. Doesn't matter what you've been doing. Doesn't matter what he's been doing. 
the reason the Packers moved on from Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers is because Aaron Rodgers was ready to be the starting quarterback. They weren't just going to move on from a Hall of Famer in Brett Favre to a guy that wasn't ready to be this the starting quarterback of the Green Bay Packers. That's what will happen with the Packers in Jordan Love and Aaron Rodgers. If Jordan Love is ready in three years, which is the hope now for Packers fans, or at least should be at this point, that he is ready in three years. Otherwise, it's a possible waste of a first-round pick and a definite bust at that point. But if he's ready in three years, the Packers may end up either releasing Aaron Rodgers or trading him. That's not something I really want to talk about at this point. But the hope is, is that Jordan Love is ready to take the reins at that point, which means the end of the tenure with Aaron Rodgers. So I think three years is possibly the timeline that they have left with Aaron Rodgers, which is the same timeline that they had with Brett Favre when they drafted Aaron Rodgers. So then the correct, the question is, another question then is, will Aaron Rodgers finish his career elsewhere? Now, Brett Favre had his own personal reaction when this happened, and he said, I don't know if he's actually talked to Aaron Rodgers, but he went on the Rich Eisen show, and he believes that Rodgers will finish his career elsewhere once this all is all said and done and the Packers move on to Jordan Love. He thinks that Aaron Rodgers won't be done. He thinks the Packers kind of burned another bridge with Aaron Rodgers there. It's really interesting, and, and we'll see if he's right. But I think if Aaron Rodgers has talked about wanting to play in his 40s because he still feels like he'll be playing at a high level at that point, hopefully, and that's another thing that Packers fans were upset about is if Aaron Rodgers wants to play into his 40s, let him play into his 40s on this team, build the team around him, and then go win a Super Bowl, right? But will it be high-level quarterback play into his 40s? Not everybody is going to be Tom Brady playing football at 43 and, and winning a Super Bowl at 41 or 42. So the Packers are planning for the future in that sense there. So it's really interesting. And how we'll see if Aaron Rodgers, if he retires, if the Packers not force him into retirement like they kind of did with Brett Favre or if he goes to play for another team, which uh, is something we'll talk about down the line for sure. But another thing too is everybody's acting like this is the end for the Packers, right? Like they're saying, oh my goodness, how could they draft Aaron Rodgers' successor? They're right next to the Super Bowl, one game away, now drafting his successor. They might not even make the playoffs. That might be a little bit of an overreaction. I mean, if you look at it, the Packers lost really two main starters this offseason. Brian Balaga, Blake Martinez, they replaced him with veterans, guys that have been in this league for a while. They're a 13-3 team. Now, yeah, some of those wins were really close wins. Believe it or not, actually, the two wins that they had against the Detroit Lions, they didn't lead for a single second in either one of those two wins. So did they get lucky in some of these wins? Sure, but I think what matters is however many wins you get, once you get into the playoffs, it's basically 0-0 at that point. It doesn't really matter what you did in the regular season. We see that all the time. I mean, did anybody really give the Tennessee Titans a chance against the Baltimore Ravens? Yet here we are, Baltimore Ravens lose their first game in the playoffs this season, and we have a Kansas City Chiefs-Tennessee Titans AFC Championship game. It doesn't matter how you win. It just matters that you win. And then once you get into the playoffs, it's all fair game from there. And I don't think the Packers really hurt themselves in trying to win games this upcoming season. So, I mean, we'll see. Everybody's panicked that the Packers kind of have, like, shut the window on 
competing for Super Bowls, that's a definite overreaction. Now, I don't necessarily think they took big steps forward in getting closer to Super Bowl contenders or being Super Bowl favorites. They're not Super Bowl favorites right now, and they didn't take a step closer, which is what people were hoping with this draft. But if you've got a lot of the same key contributors on the team, that's a big thing for the Packers. And what they're expecting from the Packers is they're expecting a lot of their younger guys to take big steps forward. So Alan Lazard is going to be their number two wide receiver. Devin Funches can hopefully come in and provide a lot of help to that wide receiver group. They're hoping like guys like Equinemius St. Brown, Marquez Valdez-Scantling take steps forward this year as well. Some guys on defense, Oren Burks possibly, in that linebacker group can take a step forward as well. So that's what the Packers are expecting. I mean, at tight end, a lot of people thought the Packers could use a tight end. They're expecting Jay Sternberger to take a big step forward for them and be a weapon in their tight end room. So, I mean, they they didn't lose a lot of major contributors from their team this past offseason. They can still sign a couple of key guys to help out. One guy in particular, Tremont Williams, could come back. Snacks Harrison could be a guy that could help shore up their defensive line. I mean, that to me is what the biggest need for the Packers is at this point, is they need a lot of help with their run defense. We saw it in the NFC Championship game. I still think Devontae Adams is a top 10, possibly a top 5 wide receiver. Alan Lazard could have a really big year now that he's got chemistry with Aaron Rodgers in a second season with a lot more time on the field. Devin Funches can hopefully step up, but they need help along that defensive front. And we saw, we saw, like I said, 36 wide receivers taken in this draft. We've seen Aaron Rodgers struggle to get on the same page with a lot of rookie wide receivers. Sometimes he gets impatient with them. That's the word I wanted to use. Gets impatient with them. They're not on the same page as him. He needs them to be able to do this, be here and there, and they're not. And we've seen that before. So maybe that was something that Brian Gutekunst took into consideration when he was looking at wide receivers. If it's not one of those top flight guys, is this guy really going to be able to contribute if he can't help Aaron Rodgers or if Aaron Rodgers doesn't necessarily trust him right away? So there was a lot going into some of these decisions. I think the Packers are still going to be a Super Bowl contender. And once you get to the playoffs, anything can happen. I mean, we saw the Chiefs trail in a lot, almost probably all of their playoff games this past season. And look, they ended up as Super Bowl champions. Once it comes time to the playoffs, anything can happen. And I think the Packers are well positioned to still make the playoffs this year. There's no question about it. It's just a lot of people are emotional about the pick. I was for sure, no question about it, because I didn't want to think of the time when Aaron Rodgers wasn't going to be the quarterback for the Green Bay Packers. That's where I think a lot of this, not necessarily hate, but a lot of this displeasure with the Jordan Love pick in their first round pick. I get the rest of the the draft class as well, where they wanted wide receivers, they wanted this and that with the rest of their picks. But I think the Packers have a plan here. Like I said, wide receiver might not have worked with Aaron Rodgers in his first year. Could have been a considered a wasted pick at that point. So we'll see how the Packers end up doing with their draft picks this upcoming year. I mean, A.J. Dillon could possibly replace Jamal Williams. He's a possible uh, release or trade candidate now at this point. Josiah DeGura, he's kind of an H-back guy that the Packers might want to use as a fullback, tight end. 
mix as well. So we'll see. I mean, a lot of things too is maybe a lot of fans thought these players could have been taken later in the draft. Like maybe you take a Josh Jones in the second round, you can still get AJ Dillon in the third round, move these guys down fourth round. Did the Packers really need to trade up for Jordan Love? That's what a lot of the thing is, is that the Packers fans don't think the Packers handled the draft board well. They didn't know how it was all falling. I think they know better than us at this point. No reason not to trust Gutekinds right now. But we'll see how it all turns out for them later, and we'll see how it turns out. This is going to be tied to Gutekinds for his legacy, though, how the Jordan Love pick works out. This will be tied to him and Matt LaFleur, if Matt LaFleur is still the coach by the time we get to Jordan Love. It'll be really interesting to see how that all works out. All right, so let's get to my final thought today on this episode of the Final Final Podcast. Why hasn't Cam Newton been signed yet? That's the big question. I mean, we've seen Andy Dalton been released by the Bengals. He's already signed to a new team with the Dallas Cowboys. He'll be backing up Dak Prescott if he gets signed long-term there. Jameis Winston, he's been signed to be a backup to the New Orleans Saints and Drew Brees. He was really excited about signing that one-year deal there. So now it's all about Cam Newton and why he hasn't been signed yet. Where will he play in 2020? What are his best options left after the draft now? And we've seen these rookie quarterbacks be drafted. And he's actually also come out and said now that he's open to a backup role, but it has to be in the right situation. I don't think Cam Newton should take a backup role. Some of the places I think he could go and be a starting quarterback in the 2020 NFL season, I still say the Chargers are a team that should consider him. I don't know if I'm I'm alone on that one anymore, but I know that was a popular one. Doesn't seem like the case anymore after they draft Justin Herbert. A really interesting spot could be the Jacksonville Jaguars. If they're not sold on Gardner Minshew, bring in Cam Newton. He could be the starter there, no question about it. The New England Patriots are still a team where he could be the starter as well. So those are a couple of teams that I think Cam Newton could be the starter of this year. Where he'll play, I have no idea at this point, but I think it's been too long since he's signed on with the team. I don't want, for Cam Newton's sake at least, him to wait for training camps to start, and then he's waiting for a team to have an injury on their team or something like that. That's always a risky play, I feel. I, ho- I also don't think that he should sign with a team to be in a backup role. Now, if he was considering a backup role for a year or two, I don't know what he would be thinking in that sense, but maybe a really good scenario for him could be the Pittsburgh Steelers. I mean, Cam or Big Ben hasn't been necessarily healthy for every game the past couple of seasons, so I mean, he could see possible time there. That would be a really good move for the Pittsburgh Steelers to shore up their backup quarterback position. We saw how that worked out for them this past year when Ben Roethlisberger went down. I mean, Mason Rudolph and Devlin Hodges aren't going to be able to solve their problems there. So Cam Newton has something to weigh there, whether he wants to be a backup quarterback. I think he can still be a really good starting quarterback in the NFL right now. He's just got limited options on where he can go at this point. I honestly right now think the Jaguars would be the best case scenario for him where he beats out Gardner Minshew and could be the starting quarterback there. But we'll see. I think it's been too long for him not to be signed yet, but we'll see where Cam Newton ends up. And then final, final thought on this episode, NFL schedule release is being released this evening. 
we already know all the opponents for each team, but now we're going to see where they get to play weeks 1 through 17. Hopefully they'll be able to play all 17 weeks. Um, it'll be interesting to see when they face off against each other. And I was looking at uh, some of their strength to schedules. The Buccaneers have a hell of a schedule this season too, which is ironic considering they signed Tom Brady. I mean, he gets to face off against Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees twice, I believe. Patrick Mahomes they play as well. Matt Ryan twice as well. So that'll be really fun to see. But that is being released this evening. Probably actually the leaks are happening right now. I haven't looked at my phone in a little bit, but I'm sure we're getting some leaks on the NFL schedule, but we'll see how that all works out. We'll talk about that in next week's episode as well. But that is all I have for you on this week's episode of the final, final podcast next week. I hope to discuss all the Michael Jordan episodes of the docuseries that I haven't caught up on yet, or at least talked about on this podcast. I'll talk about episodes three through eight, hopefully, and we'll see where we are after that in the series, which is fascinating to this point. Also, I'll discuss the live sports that we have been able to watch now. The KBO, Korean Baseball Organization, will be one week into it on ESPN. It's it's usually on at like 4 o'clock in the morning or out here in California. It's on at like 1 o'clock or 2 o'clock. I actually watched a little bit of the opening day KBO. I think it was on Monday. It's It was really... I mean, it wasn't boring. It was baseball to watch. The only problem that I have with it is I'm not focused on it like a baseball game because I don't know all of the players. But the really interesting thing about it is there's no fans in the stands. So I'll talk about that more in detail next episode for sure. And then we'll talk about as well the MLB and NBA possibly returning sooner rather than later playing without fans. I mean, the KBO will lead into how the MLB most likely will go about bringing back baseball and starting their 2020 MLB season. So that'll be really interesting to discuss and see. Probably in a week we'll have more information as well. So we'll discuss all that in my next episode. And we'll also discuss the NFL schedule that is being released tonight as well. So that'll be really fun, really good episode. So make sure you tune in for that. Thanks for listening, everyone. Stay safe. Stay sane at least more than I was last week. (laughs) Either way, thanks again. And this is the final final.